if you are a person who would be interested in learning better how to serve and lead in the Lord's body, tomorrow night at 7 p.m. we're going to meet in the fireside room. We're talking about uh, kind of leadership development, but it's more than it's more than that. It really is discipleship that we're talking about. How can a person serve better the Lord? Whether it's serving in a ministry and doing so as effectively as possible, learning how better to do that. If you've ever thought, boy, I'd really like to serve in ways in the church that I don't now, you know, how can that happen within my life in a you know, developed kind of way? We're going to talk about that tomorrow night and start a process. We have some folks who are in the process already of uh, being trained perhaps long-term, to become elders in our church. So we do have a process of leadership training that's going on. Uh, This is not so much for those who would become elders as much as those who simply want to serve better the Lord. And it really, again, is nothing more than discipleship. And so I would encourage you tomorrow night, 7 o'clock in the fireside room, if you come here, we're going to start a process uh, that will develop you along those lines. It's going to include some learning and some mentoring And I think you're going to grow from it. So I encourage you to be here. I also want to say, make sure that next Sunday morning, during the Bible class time, that you're in this room. Like if you don't normally come to Bible class, like right now I'm looking at a whole host of people who are not normally here for Bible classes. I know because I'm teaching the Bible class right now and it's only half this full or something. So a lot of you don't come to the Bible class time. I really hope that you come next Sunday morning though. It's our annual general meeting. We need to have a quorum to conduct business. If you're a member of our church, and there are criteria for being a member, if you're a member of our church, a voting member, then we'd love for you to be here so that you can contribute to that vote. We're going to reaffirm our officers, and we're going to pass the budget for the coming year. And it's very important that we do so. We don't want to have to come back to the next meet and try and meet again and get another quorum. So come next Sunday morning during the Bible class time. Please be here to participate in that meeting. I hope that 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 you'll do that. Um, I'd love it if you turn to the book of Ruth. If you're looking at a Bible underneath the seats, it's on page 188. And I'm going to read Ruth 2 this morning, which is lengthy. It's like what we did last week, but it only, like by the time it all washes out, it's only about three minutes. So I'm going to read this whole story because it's so important that we get this. And this is a great story. The book of Ruth is absolutely wonderful. And if nothing else, so much because of the characters and the character of the characters, maybe that's what I want to say. The character of the characters comes out in this book in a way that is just so refreshing and wonderful and teaching. You're going to be blessed. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, and notice it says Ruth the Moabite. It's pointing out the fact that she was a foreigner. You'll remember the story. Naomi was the mother who took, she and her family went away for 10 years. Uh, Her husband died. Her sons died. She was bitter by the end. Felt as though God had really mistreated her. And uh, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, stayed with her, makes a decision to be God's person, even though she was a Moabite. And there's such a contrast here between who Naomi is 
and who Ruth is, although we'll find out by the end of the story, things begin to progress for Naomi as well. Verse 2, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain because, because behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And there, she's basically just dependent here on the system to try and raise some food for she and her mother-in-law. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. And Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? Isn't it interesting? Who does that woman belong to? I, you know, I'm not sure how many people say that kind of thing today. Thank you, God. The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you noticed me, a foreigner? There's that language again, the language of being a foreigner. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you richly be rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, unto those whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You've put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. And as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth took her mother, uh, told her mother-in-law about the one at, at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. This has not sh- he has not shop- stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. And I'm gonna, I'll talk about the notion of guardian redeemer uh, next week. Won't do it so much this week. He is a guardian redeemer. That ha- was a, a, a position of social significance within families. Um, but we'll treat that next week. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. 
And so Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Lord, I would pray that you help us to see things this morning about these lives. They are exemplary. Help us, Father, to, to be open to being the kind of people that Ruth and Boaz were. We pray through Jesus. Amen. Now, you know, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. I just know it. But I have to tell you that when it comes to, when it comes, yeah, very good. I got that too. Um, when it comes to current examples of people who are wonderful folks, there aren't that many people to point to. Like, I don't know, those of you who are older, I don't know if it was different for you than it was for me. But I can remember when I was a little kid, of course, I'm an American, become Canadian. When I was a little kid, six years old, seven years old, my dad would pull out the encyclopedia. And I would say, Dad, turn to the section on George Washington. And so he would flip to, through the pages and he'd find the article in the encyclopedia on George Washington. And he would read to me about George Washington. And by the end of that reading, I would think to myself, I want to be like George Washington. I want to have long white hair when I'm old. <laughs> or I would have him turn to the section on Abraham Lincoln. And I would say, Dad, read this. And he would read it. And I would think to myself, man, I want to, you know, I wish I was a person like Abraham Lincoln. That's how I want to be as an adult, that kind of person. And when I think now about where we're at in our culture in terms of those kinds of models, and I recognize George Washington was no doubt not perfect. Abraham Lincoln wasn't perfect. We're going to read about a guy today, Boaz, after, uh, after I we talked about Boaz in the first service. Somebody came up to me and said, you realize Boaz wasn't perfect. He was a human being. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, yeah, I get that. I know Boaz wasn't perfect. But I like the idea that there were those after whom we could pattern our lives who were worthy models. How would you like to, I mean, would you say this to your kid today? And, I, and again, I, this is where I'm going to get myself in trouble, but for this morning, I, just, I don't care here for a few moments. How many of you would say to your kids, I want my grandson to grow up like Donald Trump? Huh? Seriously. How many of you would say that? Now, I, I, I'm not talking about politics this morning, okay? I'm sure that over here we have people who love Donald Trump. We have people over here who hate him. And I don't really care what you think, okay? doesn't matter. Uh, what does matter is that when I look at an office like the President of the United States, as, as a for, not former American, I guess I am still American, I would like to think that the person who was in that office was somebody that I could say to my grandchildren, I hope that when you are an adult, that you are like that, that you live with that kind of integrity, that you're that kind of person. And I can't even come close. I can't begin to say that about him. Now, you might say, well, yeah, but 
you couldn't say it about very many of them. <laughs> that might be true. We could go back and find, we could find all kinds of flaws in all of their lives, just the way we could with the Canadian prime ministers. The, the current prime minister not accepted. There are flaws. But one of the beautiful things about this story, this story of Boaz and Ruth, is that we have here some people who really do live it out. I love this story. Because we have people here where Carl Roberts could say to his son, read the story of Ruth and Boaz and be a Boaz. I like it. Or Helen could say to her daughters, be a Ruth. Live like that. And we wouldn't say, well, yeah, except for. There's no except fors here. This is a great story about two people of faith and who become what God wants them to be. And I, I'm just going to make a few comments about this story and about these people and then kind of sum it up in what I think is really the essence for us today and, and, and we'll be done here. First of all, the obvious faith of both. It just jumps out at me. But then the recognition of this faithfulness present in the life of one another. Faith drives their lives. And they see it in each other. Like we know these are faithful people. You look at verse 4. Look at the way that Boaz greets his workers when he walks onto the scene. What does he say? Somebody's looking at it. What does it say in verse 4? The Lord be with you. Is that the way you greet people today? Is that the way you greet everyone? I'll bet that when you come to church on Sunday morning, where you'd think if there's any place where we're going to greet each other with the word from the Lord, this would be the place. But how many of you said to somebody else as you walked in this morning, the Lord be with you. God bless you. I pray that today is a wonderful day of communion between yourself and and God, I pray that God is blessing you wonderfully this morning. How many of you wives, when you woke up this morning, had your husband say to you from the other side of the bed, the Lord be with you today as you rise in him? Any, any of you women hear that kind of language? No. You heard, hey, do you have to jostle the bed when you get out? Or something like that. But God is working in this man's life so that when he greets people who are his workers, he walks into a field and says, the Lord bless you today. Look what they say to him and, and, and right back in response. The Lord bless you, they answered. Why do they say that? Because there's connection here between themselves and God. God was just on their minds. Certainly because God was on Boaz's mind. And as the owner of this property and the leader of this farm, Boaz sets the example of one who has great faith. Look at the way that he talks to, uh, to Ruth. Verse 11, Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people who, did not know, who you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Is that the way we talk to people that we just met? He just meets this woman and starts going on and on about the Lord and how God is working in her life and she's what God wants her to be and how proud he is of her, how wonderful it is that she's this kind of example for others, living this new life she has in Yahweh. 
Ruth is shining like that kind of person that Boaz sees. And Boaz is shining like that kind of person who recognizes that in Ruth. And she sees it in him and he sees it in her. What we have here are two people with great hearts. Respected by others. Respected by each other. Boaz isn't respected just because he can swing a good business deal. And Ruth isn't respected just because she's willing to go pick the gleans from the harvest. Right at the center of this story is God working within them, making them the persons that God wants them to be. And these are the kinds of people that others need to respect and, in fact, do respect. And, and isn't it beautiful the way that they just kind of find each other? Isn't it a wonderful thing when you meet somebody who shares your level of faith? Like if you're a person who just loves God with all your heart, and every day you wake up is, and I have to admit, something's been happening in my life recently. This is so wonderful. Um, and this, I'm, I'm just like you. This doesn't happen to me all the time. But lately, I've been waking up in the morning, and my first thought is of the Lord. I find myself, I, I lay down at night, and before I go to sleep, I'm just without even thinking it, I'm talking to him. And when I wake up in the morning, I wake up, and I'm just automatically, I'm talking to the Lord as soon as I wake up. It's so cool when it's like that. And when you meet other people who share with you that kind of level of faith and you're just walking with the Lord and feeling good about who you are as a faithful person of God, you tend to attract people like that and you can identify that in other people. You can see them. You can meet them. And so you meet somebody for the first time and you think to yourself, this person loves the Lord. There's connection here. There's a vocabulary here. There's perspective here that I can just see in them. They clearly love the Lord. And it's so beautiful when you meet people like that. And that's what's happening with Ruth and Boaz. They're meeting each other and and they're sharing something rich and deep in the Lord. Do you notice how humble she is? Oh, you're treating me so kindly, sir. And I'm not worthy. I'm not even worthy like any of your servants are worthy. And he's saying to her, please, come, have something to eat. Drink what you need to. You guys, leave her alone. There's there's just so much mutual respect here and a sense of coming together as two lives joined together in the Lord. And we know what that's like, and it's just so wonderful when we experience that. Um, Just in the last week, there's a new theology professor at Ambrose University, John Coots. And I, know, I don't know John very well. Uh, I emailed him a little bit when he was still in England before he came to take the position here. And now he's, he's here. He's teaching in the department. And I had a chance to go meet him this week. And we're going to have lunch together on Friday. But it was just, it was like, here's a person who is where I'm at in life. And there was a connection taking place between myself and this person And it felt good that that connection was taking place. And I think God desires us to have those kinds of connections and those kinds of relationship. And it happens when someone is driven by faith the way that these two people are driven by their faith. And so does faith drive your life? I want to ask you this morning. Do you have those kinds of connections with people? Would you say, 
if you were revealing to someone, even that you just met, and you're trying to tell them something about who you are, would you say to them, this is who I am? My faith drives me. My faith identifies me. It's my connection to the Lord, which enables me to even greet you the way I'm greeting you this morning and saying, the Lord be with you because of that identity that I have in him. Is that who you are? That's who Boaz was. That's who Ruth was. And it drives them and becomes their identity. I hope that's who we are. We tend to say, I'm Paul, the retired military guy. Or I'm even Jonathan, the song leader, worship leader. Or I'm Wayne, I used to work in a mortuary. Or I'm a carpenter. Or I'm an engineer or a geologist or a lawyer. Those are the ways that we tend to identify each other. And what if we said, I am first and foremost a person of Yahweh who loves the Lord and longs to stand in Him first as my highest priority and the driving force in my life. And my sense is about Boaz and with Ruth, that's who we have. It's an obvious faith in both, and they see it. Here's another thing. Do you notice Boaz's compassion, his care for the victimized? Ruth and Naomi did not have it good. It didn't go well for them for a while. Boaz comes on the scene, and he's heard the story. And he doesn't just hear the story and say, that's nice. He hears the story and begins to participate in the life of the one who's been victimized. And so again, he makes sure that she has enough food. He makes sure that she has a meal while she's there. He makes sure she doesn't have to work too hard. He makes sure that the work is easy for her. He makes sure that nobody touches her. No man's going to violate her. Everything is good because of his compassion for this one who's been been victimized. That's who people of faith are. And I'm grateful for Boaz's compassion and care for this one who's been victimized. He takes it actually a step further because he has respect for some social conventions and all of that flows out of who he is as a faithful person. You know, we live in an era which is very interesting. I don't don't know where all of this will go eventually, but we live in, in what we might call the Me Too era. You know what I'm talking about? An era in which women are finally able to say to society, I have been mistreated. In fact, men have mistreated me. Men have said things to me that were inappropriate. I've been treated in the workplace or even on the street in a way that's been not the way that women should be treated by those who respect them as persons. One of the things that I love about Boaz is that Boaz seems to be, and, and you know, we, we talked already about how there are psalms that we've been singing or um, readings that have been read for 3,000 years. Here's a story that might be 3,000 years old. And this is a guy who was treating women well in an era when women didn't get treated well. Who do you belong to? Might be the question. That would be the way they would think of women. And Boaz instead treats Ruth, a Moabite, who's on the outs with respect and care and compassion. 
he treats her the way that a man should treat a woman in our society. I don't have much doubt that there are men sitting in the room, and perhaps I'm one, brothers and sisters, who hasn't always been in kind as kind in my speech and as appropriate in my speech as I should be, specifically with women. And it's time we change that. It's time we be really what God wants us to be. I'm grateful for the example of this one, Boaz, who really does shine as an example of the way that we should be treating everyone and certainly the way that men should be treating women. Boaz is a gentleman. I don't know if you guys out there do what some fathers used to do, intentionally treating their sons as those who should grow up to be gentlemen and show them how. But it's appropriate for us to say to young men as they're growing up, we need to treat women well. We need to treat them in godly ways. We need to treat them certainly as equals, if not better than ourselves, because God has made them perfect who they are. And we need to be respectful, gentlemanly, kind. And I appreciate that in this story of Boaz, who so long ago saw the need to treat people the way that he should treat them. We see in this story God's providence. It is so evident throughout the story. You don't have the sense that these events are random. Ruth and Boaz don't come together out of just a randomness. But instead, God is working in the lives of faithful people to bring together their good and their good through each other. So that even through Ruth's great hardship, she sees God working. Naomi even begins by the end to have some notion of God working. And so, Naomi is encouraged herself and progresses. We, talk, we talked last week about how Naomi is bitter God has done something in her life that she can't handle. She is not a happy girl. But by the verse 20, look at verse 20. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. And so God is working in her situation providentially, and Naomi sees it, and she recognizes it. And because of Ruth and Boaz and the way that they're living, their activities, something is starting to turn around for Naomi as well. And so even discouraged people can become faithful again when they see others around them living faithfully. Well, all these things are good things. This is a wonderful story. I love the example of these two shining lights as they become really the kind of people that that all of our children certainly should aspire to be, and we should teach others to become like this. But here's the thing I love most. There is a sense here of lives lived in complete discipleship. Maybe that's the way I want to say this. A life lived in complete discipleship. Again, the question arises, is this who you are? Are you a Boaz? So that everything about you is driven by who Yahweh is? 
Is your relationship with Jesus such that that's who you are? Because Jesus has that kind of impact on your life. Are you a Ruth? Where everything about you is driven by, shaped by, influenced by, governed by, controlled by who Christ is in your life. Is the Holy Spirit working in you that miracle where you become the person that you couldn't ever become if it were not for God living within you? Is there not a way of living here with Ruth and Boaz that we should all attempt to live after? Because God makes it as possible for us to live this way as it did for them. We're still pretty early in the year here. You've got time. You can fix this. Before the end of the year, there's 50, 49 weeks left. And God wants to work within you this kind of pattern of life. What kind of disciple will you be? And I want you to keep in mind too, David's great-grandmother, 